say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. Hello everyone and welcome to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo and hello everybody. We have an outstanding show all the way from Maine. She's joining us today with her newest book. It is Beverly Man Lassard. I get to call her Bev. Oh my goodness, what a great, outstanding book. It's called Relationships, just in time for the holidays, ladies and gentlemen, because let's be honest with you. You know what? It all comes down to the relationships, doesn't it? Right? And for some of us, right, because we're living in a pandemic, our relationships have not exactly been the same that we'd like. But here's the deal. Beverly gives us glimpses, moments, snapshots of how to relate to different people, including our family, friends, distantly even, right? I mean, she even talks about playing bridge with a guy from India. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a relationship. She even talks about relationships with animals. Oh, yeah, that doesn't always go real well. And then there's relationships with places and things. Folks, you're in for a treat. Beverly Mann Lassard, the book is called Relationships. She's going to join us in just a few minutes. But before we get to her, let's do what we do every week. And that is we talk about your training. And right. And when I talk about your training, what we're talking about is the truth of the matter is we are only as good as our training is. What do I mean by that? Well, here's the deal. When we're under stress, we're under pressure, when we're under lacking sleep, when we're hungry, tired, out of fuel, you never really rise to the occasion. You only fall back to the level of your training. And we actually train in four areas of our life, or we don't train in four areas of our life. It's physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, for those of you who've been on this show, who listen to the show over and over again, you know that I go through these things. And I've had people say, how do you do it? How are you perfect tens? You know, in physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoever told you I was a perfect 10? I am not, folks. When I weekly do these weekly check-ins with you, on, on, you know, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, I got to tell you, I, I, I have to be honest with myself. I'm going to be really honest with you right now. My physical last week was about a three, right? I ate pretty good, but I didn't, I only got one day of training in for whatever reason, right? And it was awful, right? I am not always tens, right? Matter of fact, rarely, I, because I don't, I don't think I can actually achieve a 10. I am never really a 10. I usually, you know, I try to stay above a five if I can, right? But some weeks like last week, and by the way, in some other areas of my life, I'm below a five, which is average, right? So don't think that I sit here and am telling you how to train because I'm perfect. I am not. Matter of fact, there are people this week already who will tell you emotionally, I was a, I was a zero, right? Because I just somehow I just lost it, right? It's because I'm not perfect. I'm still, I'm, you know what? I'm a work in progress, just like the rest of you are, right? And that's, that's the thing about our training, right? I mean, if I could get there, then I probably would stop training. But this is why I have to continue training, just like the rest of you do, is that we have to continually work at ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So let's go through the, how this all works, right? So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being miserable, 10 being outstanding, we're going to go through these four areas. First is physical. What do I mean by physical? What I mean is, are you exercising, eating right, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, you know, taking your vitamins, doing the things that you need to do to be healthy? If you were to rank yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being miserable, 10 being outstanding, how would and 5 being average, how would you rate the, your training you know, this past week? 
And whatever that number is, is fine. Okay. That's our number that we start from that we go, okay, how do I improve that number to the next, to the next number or to the next half number? So if you say to me, like I was last week, I was a three, you know what? I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get to a four. So when that week was over, you know, I ate pretty good, but I had terrible exercise. First thing I did Monday morning was I got up and I exercised, ate right and exercised. That was the first thing I did that yesterday. Work today, right? That's, so those things, right, I can change immediately, right? I made sure that I wasn't doing some of the things I shouldn't do, right? That's, that's what we're trying to do here. All right, so the physical, give yourself a number scale, one to 10. All right, the second number is the mental number. All right, you want to know what I was last week? I was I was a really solid nine mentally. Why? I read a lot. I read reading this book. I was reading two other books. I was previewing books for another show. I was actively learning. I was doing some writing. I was doing what I I'm easily was a nine last week, right? Because mentally what we're talking about when you're training is you're taking and being an active participant in your learning and your mental growth, all right. I also picked up the guitar, played a little bit, played the piano a little bit, did something from my right brain, the creative side. So I'm left-handed like Beverly is, and so I got to engage my right side of my brain, which just loves it. Right. So I got both halves of my brain working. By the way, so it was a nine for me. So what was yours? And then you got to ask yourself, you know, actively as a participant in my mental health, you know, what can I do to change it, right, to get to the next number? So you got two numbers: a physical number, a mental number, emotionally. Right? Well, I already told you, I was probably one. I mean, I lost it. Right? I mean, I got in an argument for no apparent reason outside the fact that I felt like I just needed to be right and I was just being an idiot. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I had to literally walk away and go, I got to stop this. I'm not. The guy said, "You're why are you mad at me?" And I said, "I'm not. I'm mad at me because I don't even know why I'm even having this argument." I'm the one who's the idiot. I'm the one who's trying to be right. And I can't even figure out why I want to be right. It makes no apparent sense. And I'm yelling, right? And I had to finally walk away and tell him, I had to ask him to forgive me for being an idiot because emotionally I had lost it. I, you know, I tell you every week, you know, as part of your emotional training, it's about being intentional. It's about being able to control your own emotions. I had a choice and I made a bad choice. That's the truth. And I wasn't tapping into his emotions because I didn't care. I was more interested in espousing my opinion and trying to be right for no reason. It's foolish. It was silly. It was stupid. It did nothing to enhance our relationship. That's why it was a three. Right? Got to do better. So I got to get to a four. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to be more conscious, right? Of why is it, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really thinking through this. You know, why was being right so important to me on this? Because it really didn't need to be. It was a dumb argument. And I got emotionally involved in something that really just didn't matter. Right? So th- that, so when, when we, so that's part of the emotional process is one, you know, how well am I able to control my emotions? And then the second one is how well am I able to tap into the emotions of others? Well, some weeks it's fantastic, but I got to tell you something. This past week was awful. Right? I just didn't do a very good job of it. And so I need to improve. And so how am I going to do that? Well, I'm being more conscious. I'm telling people to hold me accountable to my stupidity, right? Because that's what I need. Because I know that's the only way I'm going to get better, right? Are you, am I trying to be right? You know, and that's that's a good point. So there's three years of physical, mental, emotional, and finally it's spiritual. And as I tell you, right, you know, for those of you who don't think you're spiritual, you're spiritual. We're all spiritual. You remove the physical, the mental, emotional, you have a spiritual component to you. And you say, no, I'm not. I don't believe. I don't believe in spiritual things. Well, actually you do. 
See, here's the deal. <clears throat> if you have any plans for the future, right, if you plan, I know Beverly likes to play golf, and golf season in Maine is kind of over right now because there's, it's snowing where she's at. But she's planning as soon as possible to play, to play golf. So that hasn't happened yet, but she believes it's going to happen. That's called faith. And faith is spiritual. When we believe in things that we can't see, when we believe in things that haven't happened yet, yet, but we're convinced of them that they will happen, you know what? That's faith. And that's spiritual. And, and deep down inside of all of us, we know that there's something bigger than all of us in all of that. Right? And there's something inside of us that brings us a sense of peace, whether that be God, whether that be nature, meditation, or whatever it may be. You have something that brings you to a sense of peace in the middle of chaos. It does. And so on the same scale of 1 to 10, I ask you know, all the time, how's that going for you? Right? And then what do you need to do to change it? So now you have four numbers, right? Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Um, it's like the legs of a chair. If the legs are uneven, right, it's bad for your posture, which is bad for our health. At, this, at the same time, you want all the legs to come up even, and you want your chair at the right height so you can eat at a table and eat nourishing food. And speaking of someone who has got her right height and who has, even though she'll tell you she's short, she, even though she's got the right height, that she's awesome, and she's written her fourth book, I think it is now, Relationships, Beverly Mann Lassard. She's been a student of writing about life since she was a child, and almost as soon as she could put a pen to paper, uh, Beverly was dashing off poems uh, with little regard to any of the accepted forms. And later on, in her 20s, which was just a few years ago, she began writing science fiction short stories. These stories were often written with one or two of her daughters sitting at her feet under the table enjoying the journey along with their young mom. By the time Beverly was in her 30s and with three young children in tow, she began jotting down her everyday life experiences, uh, which also found a home in a local Massachusetts newspaper. She was born in Portland, Maine. And she uh, was raised there. She had um, she was the middle of seven children. She graduated from Gorham High School, in uh, and also the University of Maine in Orono. And I never get that right. Um, she uh, she has a multiple of life experiences, and her stories have taken her readings from everywhere readers from everywhere to sake games, birthday parties, things that have gone wrong, things that have gone right, things that will touch your heart, things that will um, just make you laugh like crazy. And she was discovered by Clemson Coke Publishing Company. And at the end of the day, she writes this book and it's called Relationships. And her and I have been able to create a relationship. And so ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and welcome to A New Direction, Beverly Mann Lassard. Welcome, Bev, to A New Direction. Thank you. And... <clears throat> You're, you're, you really had a better week than you thought. <laughs> you, made, you, made, you made my week. <laughs> so, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, you know what, though? The, the truth of the matter is when it, I mean, you know, you write about this, you write about this in your book in these, in these little moments that you share with us that the truth of the matter is, is that life is never a steady climb. You know, it's not without some ups and downs along the way. Right. I mean, every relationship that you had, whether it's a relationship with your husband, significant other, children, grandchildren, colleagues, uh, board members, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, right, yeah. animals, right. It's it's not it's not it's not this it's not this just straight forty five. There's ups and downs. Is that correct? Right. Right. And I, and I think my my oldest daughter who wrote the forward really really said it right that 
she said, you know, my mom's not a, not a, uh, had a perfect life, but she has handled it perfectly. She, you know, she's, she's dealt with the issues when something comes up, uh, she fixes it. And uh, so that was, that was nice when, when I asked her to write the forward for me and she wrote that back, I was like, wow, like she was really paying attention to what I was doing <laughs> and I was trying to raise them. So that was, that was really nice. And, uh, so in this book, uh, Relationships, by the way, the, the book is fabulous. Um, I've read it from cover to cover. I've laughed. Uh, there was a tear occasionally. There was, uh, but every single story in this book and there's about a hundred of them. I don't know. Is there, what is it? I think it's about a hundred. Is it 70 something? I don't know. It, it, yeah. It might be 70 to 80. Yeah. 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 So there's these little, by the way, all the stories are about two to three pages long, seriously in the book, but every story has a point. And so I thought what we would do, um, if you let me venture down this track is not necessarily go through each story, but having categorized them into different categories, I would like for us to kind of talk through relationships in these different categories and some of the things that you learned based on some of the stories in the book. Are you okay with that? Mm -hmm. So let's, let's start with our spouse or significant other. I mean, you, you were married to your hunk of hunk of burning love is what you call him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right. And uh, Phil, right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, had he uh, contracted cancer um, during uh, your marriage, but throughout this throughout these stories, as you're telling them, one of the things that occurs to me as I'm reading them is that the relationship between you and him changes from the time you first get married when you're you know basically 18 years old, I think it is, and he's 21, yeah, getting ready to go, yeah. to go going to college, yeah. have kids. I think there's a story in there that says I love you 467 times or 468 times or something like that. Yeah. And so talk to us about how, what, what do we need to take from a long extended or how do we survive marriage? I think, I think there was a, there was a story in there. I, I, I actually haven't read my book in years. Uh, is the story in there on uh, falling in love again? Yes, that's it. And it, and it talks about, that marriage is really a whole series of falling in love again, because as you, you know, like I said, we, we met when we were 16 and 17, we got married at, at 19 and 2021 and you change as a person. And so every time you change, you have to fall in love again mm-hmm. uh, because uh, you, you just, that, that's how the relationship develops. And, you know, our relationship at 16 and 17 was totally different than, you know, 60 and 61. And, and also, you know, just going through health issues, you know, as he, as he got his cancer, that, that changed our relationship, but the changes all can be good. I mean, they, they were great. they they, they bind you together that you've survived different times in your marriage and you just, you just make the best of everything. And, and, you know, it's like, it's like falling in love again after you have a fight. I mean, every time is just better and better because you you have a deeper meaning of uh, understanding of each other. Well, I think, I think for, for some people, you know, they, they want to believe that somehow marriage is going to be devoid, that a good marriage is devoid of fights and arguments. Yeah. (laughs) 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 But that's, that's, that's simply unrealistic. But you, you also make a point 
that there came a point in the marriage, and actually you talk about even throughout, where you came to the conclusion that some of the things that he does or some of the quirks that he has just no longer just were that big of a deal to you. How do we get to that point? I, I, I think it's, you know, it's maturity. Uh, if I had to put marriage relationship into one word, it would be commitment. Uh, when things go wrong, you're committed to fix it, to make it better, to understand it, to, to talk about it. And, you know, you, it, each of those conversations, each of those moments in your life, you just get stronger and stronger, you know, going, going through the teenager, going through the toddler years. I mean, that's, that's hard enough. When you think about all the different times in your life, you're raising children, you're raising teenagers, you know, the, the, the children have all left home. I mean, each one of those segments in your life requires you really to learn and become, uh, you, you, you start to change as a person and you start to take on uh, more and more wisdom. I always said the hardest part about raising teenagers is that by the time you're in your 40s uh, and you're starting to acquire all this wisdom from just living, and now you have these teenagers who are the last people on the earth who would listen to you. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like wisdom wasted, but but it's kind of fun because then you get the grandchildren and the grandchildren listen, and they're, they're, they're fantastic. <laughs> One of the things you said, and I know you love your grand. You have great stories about your grandkids, by the way. Uh, there's an ice cream story in there. If the ice cream truck that never comes down the road, that was absolutely fabulous. But one of the things you you say in in one of the vignettes about you and your relationship with Phil, and and I thought this was really eye opening for all of us when I read it, is you make a statement to the effect, and this is the Jay Izzo paraphrase. You know what? He's not per- perfect, but who of us are? Yeah, right. Yeah. I, that, that's, that's actually, it's funny because I opened the, when I got the book, I opened it up to always interesting to see what they put on the first, first uh, story. And the first story is on who's perfect. Mm. And it talks about my next door neighbor was in, in a, in a sense that I like everything to be neat and orderly. He was the perfect person because he literally would sweep the last snowflakes from his driveway, uh, where, whereas, you know, we had to practically get the snowplow to come finish up where Phil would miss. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd sit down and he opens the bag of potato chips and the potato chips go all over the place. But, you know, in the end, when we sat down and he got out Casablanca and he covered my feet and he got a bowl for my share of the potato chips and I thought, what's really important here? Do I really need a driveway that I don't need to wear boots to walk out in? I mean, seriously, is, is that important? What's important is that, you know, he was, he was, he picked a movie that I wanted to see and he got me my own bowl. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta figure out what's important, what you really want and, um, and, and be happy that you, you hopefully found it. What a beautiful sentiment. By the way, her name is Beverly Mann Lassard. The book's titled Relationships, available on Amazon. Uh, bookstores everywhere um it's fabulous read by the way it's insightful read for all your relationships i'm just telling you uh these vignettes are um, amazing uh, they they really made me think and that that statement that you just made is you know at the end of the day how important is this other stuff yeah right i mean yeah. because you even there's even a chapter that you write in here it's later on in the book about you talk or not chapter but a story that you you're, you've already argued all the big things, 
<laughs> nothing left to fight about. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing left to fight about, right? So it's yeah. almost like you make up stuff, so that yeah, you, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and it was and it was funny because I were I I can't remember if it was the soap suds in the sink or or something, and I'm telling my daughters, and they're like, seriously, you know, because they're they're in their early years of their own marriage where they're fighting about much more important stuff. And, and you do, I mean, sometimes as, as we got through fighting over everything that was left to fight about, uh, we, we'd start laughing because like, Oh my God, are we really fighting about whether the soap suds in the kitchen sink or not? <laughs> uh, and, and I think that, you know, one of the things that also gets you through uh, years of marriage and dealing with toddlers to teenagers to empty nests to, to all that uh, is humor. And mm. just being able to, to laugh at yourself and uh, have those kind of conversations where it's like, seriously, what is the most important thing here? And, uh, and, and I think then, you know, when we went through the cancer years, those just cemented all because then you know what the most important thing is, is the love that you share and also your health. And we just, uh, I feel that we, my fortunately, my husband had 14 years after he was diagnosed, and I, I feel that we made the most of it. I, I always feel much worse for people who lose a spouse suddenly. Right. So we were able to really adjust to that. Uh, we still found a lot of humor in it, and we, we had a, a great 14 years, and we're very. And when my husband did die, uh, I was very grateful for all the years I had him for 52 years. Uh, I, I have nothing but love and gratitude that I had him as long as I had him. Her name is Beverly Mann Lassard. The book is entitled Relationships, and you're listening to her here on A New Direction. Hey, everyone. Listen, I want to tell you about our two sponsors. You know, we've got these two fantastic sponsors. Epic Physical Therapy is one of them. They are absolutely fantastic. Look, they work with everybody, whether you're a professional athlete, which most of us are not, or you're just somebody who's just trying to feel better. That's what Epic Physical Therapy does. I have been to their studios. I have, I, they are my therapists. They have worked on this aging, aching body <laughs> who still does stupid things. And sometimes I just need to feel better. And, but they don't just treat injuries and surgeries and those type of things. Sometimes they just help me figure out better ways to stretch, maybe even to find ways to uh, stretch in a different way or do my exercises in a different way that are more healthy. That's epic physical therapy, right? Here's the thing. What makes them so effective is that they provide you with a customized treatment plan for you and your needs, right? Now, look, because they do work with professional athletes, they understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole. That's awesome because they're not just treating your symptoms over your injury. So when you're ready for your epic relief, your epic recovery, and your epic results, don't look any further. Go to Epic Physical Therapy. That's epicpt.com. That's epicpt.com and <clears throat> excuse me linda craft and team realtors listen wherever you're at in the world literally the world they can literally help you find the right professional to either sell your home or buy your home how well it's really easy linda has been creating relationships since 1985 in the real estate world right and because she's independently owned and operated unaffiliated with any national company she can find the absolute best expert in your area right there's, there's, she doesn't, she's not affiliated with anyone. So it doesn't matter what company they work for. She's just going to find the best expert. And because she's going to find the best expert, here's the cool part. 
what's going to happen is she's going to help you get associated with them. And then in turn, right, she could step away. You can work with the best expert. And then you, you can be rest assured that what you've got is you have someone who's going to have your best interest at heart. Why? Because that's what Linda's been doing for 35 years. It's why her clients call her the legend of customer service when it comes to real estate, Right. It's because she's a relationship maker. She maintains those relationships over time, and she understands that the moments and memories are extremely important to your home. Nobody's going to remember what your grandma paid for the house, but you remember every apple pie she ever made, right? That's the truth. So when you're ready, right, to sell your home or buy your home, start with the legend. Start with the memory maker. Start with the relationship creator. Start with Linda Craft at Team Realtors. You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot Com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Beverly Mann Lassard and her book, Relationships. And uh, we've just been talking about, for the last few minutes, about the relationships uh, with our spouses and significant others. And just a wealth of really great stuff in here, Bev. Um, and thank you for letting me call you Bev, because I get to, oh, save, absolutely. I get to save two <laughs> other syllables, which I don't yeah. have the time to say anymore. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> So the other relationships that you talk about that are also important is the relationships we have with our children. And for you especially, you talk about this, right, is your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And that changes. So talk about how the relationships with your children and grandchildren, because that's not necessarily a straight up and down line either. It has its own sets and ebb and flows. So how do you get through those years? Because the teen years are, you know, or, I mean, for those of us who have kids, teen years are tough, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you yeah. even talk about you and your sister would have this, you know, like line, right, across the floor and be <laughs> mad at each other. But you wake up in the morning, completely forgot about it, chatty Kathy, right? And and your sister's still trying to be mad, right? And so, yeah. right? So talk to us through children and children a little bit and how we, how you dealt with that and how that relationship changed. Well, I think that um, I had kind of a, a unique situation because uh, for 27 years, I ran a child care center and my daughters all worked for me. Mm. So uh, and it was funny because my daughters all called me Bev because if they called me mom, I didn't listen. I was at work. You know, I had to take care of business. So my daughters all called me Bev and uh, and they, they did what I said. You know, if I said, uh, go set up snack or go take these kids down here or whatever. So I had a, a lot of authority because I wasn't just their mom for a certain part of the part of the day. I was their boss because at home at uh, once we get home at six o'clock, you know, then I was mom again. But it was funny because uh, we'd come home for supper and um, we talk about childcare. We talk about this child and that child and this story and that story. And my husband would just, you know, after about five minutes, he'd be like, okay, enough. So he actually, my, one of my daughters had a button maker, you know, like, you know, vote, vote for me or whatever. And he had had her make him two buttons. One said, thank you for not talking about childcare. (laughs) And the other one was childcare with a line through it. So he, he would be like, okay, five minutes. And then that's enough stories, you know, every little potty story or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, so we, we had a lot in common. Uh, and uh, like I said, you know, we kind of had that, that uh, moment in our lives where I was just the boss and not the mom that helped me feel in control. And other than that, you just, you just, you know, you enjoy them. You, j- you really, I, I can't say 
that there was an age that we didn't enjoy. You just enjoy it differently. I really enjoyed the company of all my daughters and, and their, their work. And, um, they, they were just so it was actually, I, I think that as they were better, they are better moms because they were working in my childcare. So I remember my middle daughter was like 15 years old and we had taken, of course they babysat all the time because they had all these children at the center and we had this little boy come home for supper and he didn't want to wash his hands. And she looked at him and she said, would you like to wash your hands by yourself or would you like me to help you wash your hands? So not the choice of whether you want to wash your hands or not, but she gave him the appropriate choices he needed to wash his hands. So, you know, at 14, 15 years old, my daughters were already learning the strategies on how to negotiate with toddlers. So I thought that was a, a very valuable use of their time working for me. So working for you, I could see how working for you kind of, I can I can kind of get that piece of it, but so many of us I struggled. Listen, I struggled, you know, with the teenage years, with my son, right? I really did. I struggled with it, and how? I mean, what? I, I it's just such a hard thing I think for people to go. So how did you get, how do you get through that? You know, how do you because I mean, I mean, because not all of us have that thing. I mean, it's like, is there a secret that we should is there a secret that we should know? I, I don't think there's a secret. Uh, we we I actually my husband and I disciplined our daughters the same way I ran my center. Everything was a consequence of action. Mm-hmm. So um if they were, oh, so, okay, here's a, here's a story. My oldest daughter, she'll love this if she's watching it. When she was 17, she had a party at my house with all her friends. And at that point, you couldn't drive after one o'clock. So my husband and I were up in bed. We were listening. It was getting closer and closer to one o'clock. We were expecting to hear people leaving and nobody left. And basically, her entire party stayed overnight and slept on the floor. So we get up in the morning and we said, okay, you know what this means? And she goes, yeah, I can't have any more parties. She wasn't planning on having any more parties. It was a, it was, it was a totally <laughs> well-calculated uh, situation. So the consequence was you're not going to have any more parties. She's like, fine, that's exactly what I thought would happen. And, uh, and that, that was it. So, I mean, there were a lot of cases where, you know, what, what they did, they understood beforehand that this was going to be the consequence. If they ever uh, drank, if they were ever got caught drinking and driving one of our cars, the consequence would be that they would not drive one of our cars ever again. So they wouldn't drive a car until they got their own car. So they understood these things. But I used to say to people, because, you know, running a childcare center, I had all the way up to sixth grade and I was had my teenagers. So people were constantly asking me, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? And um, I said, you know, you don't start giving them explaining consequences of actions when they're 14, 15 years old. You start when they're two. Uh, you start as toddlers. Oh, if you, you know, not that you'd let them burn themselves, but if you touch this, it's hot. You're going to, you know, it's going to hurt. Right. So you, you explain to them the natural consequences. If you break your toy on purpose, that toy is going in the trash can and I am not going to replace it. Right. Uh, it was actually one of the things that I had in my center where I would say to my school-aged children, if you break something on purpose, you're going to go and buy my center a new one. And I would actually talk to the parents. That happened a couple of times. And I'd say, please do not give them the money, make them earn it, make them go get the toy and bring it back. If you break it by accident, then that's that's okay. 
just you know come and tell me we'll throw it in the trash i'll buy a new one so um it's it's actually takes all the screaming and yelling out of a out of a conversation mm. because when a child does something you just have to sort of pre-think it because it's hard when you when you're so angry <laughs> that you can't think it's hard to come up with a natural consequence so you have to kind of establish these consequences over the years and then when your child does something it's very easy you know you did this okay this is going to happen and that's the end of the conversation so that part of it now i can't say that every single situation was like is that because there were times when the uh top of my head would come off <laughs> uh, and, and it, it was just uh you know you could you can't even think at that time so it's not always perfect but it will get you through about i think about 80 percent of the situations where you just don't know what to do so how does the relation change did you see the relation change you know relating to your children as they became moms how did that change? What, what was the change there for you in terms of how you related to them? Yeah, I mean, obviously, once they leave the house and you pack up the 153 stuffed animals that they had in their bedroom <laughs> and drop them off <laughs> into their garage, uh, you know, the, the relationship changes. Uh, and, it, and it is interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people who are old, my age can identify that at some point they kind of start taking care of you, though my youngest daughter, surprisingly, was always very protective. And I remember I went to one of her lacrosse games in high school. She was the goalie and uh, it started raining and she stopped the game and she ran over and she said, mom, you need to go get in the car. It's raining. Like she was very concerned about me, which was super sweet. But I said, you know, Elizabeth, if, if you can stay in the rain, I can stay in the rain. I can deal with this. Um, so, but, but they do become, you know, a lot more protective. The girls were, were very protective of, of their father. Once he got cancer, they were trying to solve, uh, at one point he stopped eating and they were sending him, you know, liquid nutrition drinks and things like that. So, uh, that, that's an interesting change. And as far as, um, all my daughters, got married and within two years had their first baby. So I really went from them being on their own to being a grandmother. So, so that was a really nice and easy transition. And really they, I, I think because I worked with my daughters as teenagers, they were really daughters and friends and employees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had those kind of relationships set up before they went out on their own. So by the time they were independent, you know, kind of like they were always my daughters and are always my daughters and and they became you know, the the friendship uh just became more center stage uh we're talking with beverly man lassard a book uh relationships is the, is the book it's her latest uh ad adventure uh that she's written and it's it's absolutely fabulous i'm just gonna tell you it's a, just a great read it's fast fun uh read and and every story has a point and uh, there, we, I think we said that between 70 and 80 stories, and every single story has a point that if you will just read it, it it will inspire you, will get you thinking. Uh, that's what I found about this book is it really just made me think um, hard about what am I doing, what am I what am I making important, what am I not making important, and that's the beautiful of this book called Relationships. Um, I really highly recommend it. One of the things that happens with children is they have their children. And you say something in one of your stories, I can't remember uh, what the name of it was now, was, but you said in the story that 
you know, sometimes as we age, we think, you know, if I'd go back. And then you said, well, I'd only go back if I had the knowledge and the wisdom that I have now. And as long as I could take my grandchildren with me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Talk about they're that really, relationship. They're, they're really, they're really awesome. I mean, everybody who has grandchildren and, and actually if I can put in a, a small plug here, I don't, I don't think I sent you the book, but the book that came out before this was all my parenting and grandparenting stories. So some of, some of them seem to get put into the relationship stories. Um, but my oldest grandson, they're, they're just so many wonderful stories. Uh, he, I don't know if it's in this book, but when he was three years old, he came downstairs on Christmas morning and he was looking around and I said, Oh, Timothy, you know, what are you, what are you looking for? You look at your name starts with a T. If you look, he goes, no grandma, I'm looking for a gift for you. Mm. So just really wonderful stories. And then when he was, I published my first book, uh, self-published, which was called Relentlessly Upbeat when Timothy was 13. And uh, I gave him a story. I was kind of surprised that he read it and he read it. And I said, Timothy, how did you like it? And he said, I laughed and I cried. So mm. it, it was just, uh, and all the grandchildren are like that. They, they all, um, just I've had I've had a couple of my grandchildren come to my daycare center as as uh, students in my preschool. That was a lot of fun. And uh, that was that was an interesting year because uh, they would started calling me grandma. I would walk through their classroom. I wasn't the teacher. I was the director. And so all the other kids in the class started calling me grandma. So then they started calling me Bev. So um, <laughs> that was that was a very, very sweet. So. Yeah. What 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 do you think it is? There's the, about grandparents and their grandchildren. What what is it about them? I mean, because it's a way different relationship yeah. than you had with your children. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, well, it's you'll do things you'll do things for your for your grandchildren that you would never have done for your children. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's it's all the fun and none of the responsibility. So. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> It's a, it's a perfect relationship, but um, you know, you know, as I don't know, is in one of the stories. Jeez, uh, oh, I can't remember. I well, called no, my it, daughter. Yeah. I, I took care of uh, Timothy and his brother Morgan for the weekend, and of course, spoiled them rotten. And my daughter would always say, you know, it's it's going to take us three days to get them, you know, <laughs> back down onto earth. And I was basically, well, that's your problem. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, you know, it's not going to change my strategies here. So it's it's just all all the fun. I think that's why uh, uh, the grandchild grandparent relationship is so important. And I think and then on the other end with the grandchildren, you know, you think about your own grandparents, how much you love them. Well, you know, they didn't say no to you. They didn't right. tell you you had to go to bed early. You know, so it's just this perfect storm of a great relationship between two people that can have all the fun and not have to worry about anything. I, I found it so endearing, uh, the story that you told uh, about the ice cream truck that never comes down the street. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that was a really funny day. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know I could vault over furniture. <laughs> <laughs> I had to come in and find the money. I didn't. I, I literally was, you know, I was, I was probably... I don't know, probably 60 in my early 60s, and I'm vaulting over furniture to get to my my wallet so I can get money before the ice cream truck goes by. But um, yeah, it was just, and it, and then 
right as we were getting our ice creams, my daughter came home and I thought, oh, you know, this is probably, and it was like five o'clock. I was like, oh, she's going to be upset that I got her ice cream right before supper. And she just got out of the car and was laughing hysterically because she knew what had happened. Mm. She, she knew that the truck came down and I was going to give her kids ice cream. I didn't care if it was two minutes before supper, they were going to get an ice cream. And uh, so she had, she had a really good attitude about that. Well, I think, I think that at the end of the story is uh, she says, I think your daughter says something, you know, the ice cream truck never comes down here. And one of the grandchildren says, that's because grandma's here. Grandma, can you come every day? You know, (laughs) something to that. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's just yeah. the wonder of wonder of children, right? Little children who, you know, their association is you know, grandma's magical. You know, yeah. I think yeah. Yeah. that's the beauty of the relationship because I, you know, I'm thinking back to even my own grandparents, you know, when I was little, there was something magical about them. I, I don't know what it was. I knew that they were older. I knew that, you know, that they didn't look like necessarily look like my mom and dad, but Every time I was with them, it seemed like there was something magical about to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have so many memories of my grandparents. And, you know, being one of seven, I didn't really spend any uh, alone time with either one of them in any other group. But I remember one day uh, I was just happened to be standing in the driveway getting ready to go. And my grandfather just looked at me and he said, are you happy? Hmm. And I thought I was probably... 17, 18, and I thought, oh my God, no one has ever asked me. No one in my life had ever asked me if I was happy. And so I thought it was fantastic that he would ask me, and I thought it was a fantastic question. And I, you know, I thought and I said, Yes, I I really am. I really am a happy person. And and he was pleased with his answer. But you know, that's the kind of thing that you get from a grandparent. You know, they've got enough right. time to actually, you know, life is slower. They can right. uh they can they can take the time to ask you really an important question. Yeah, it's I, I just it's it's just that relationship between you and your grandchildren, which is beautifully illustrated here in several stories, is outstanding. And speaking of outstanding, you're listening to the outstanding Beverly Man Lassard here on a new direction. Hey, folks, need to talk about our sponsors uh, here, and it's Epic Physical Therapy and also Linda Craft and Team Realtors. Look, Epic Physical Therapy, which is my physical therapists, are absolutely outstanding. I, I can't say enough. I go to the facilities. I meet the owners, Heidi and Andrew. They're fantastic. I meet their certified uh, physical therapists that are absolutely just awesome. And then there's this facility. I mean, talk about top-of-the-line equipment, top-of-the-line uh cutting edge methods, unbelievable. I mean, you walk in there and you can see the the anti-gravity treadmill, the Normatec compression sleeves, the game ready, uh, which is the ice compression, uh, iced water compression that takes the swelling out of your joints. Uh, you can see all the different types of kettlebells, weights, things that they do to help you move better, feel better. And, you know, here's the deal. When you're physically feeling better, guess what? It's much easier to emotionally, mentally, and spiritually feel better. I know, sounds crazy, right? But it's really true. Look, they're trained in the most certified comprehensive treatments available like blood flow restriction therapy, therapy dry needling, cupping, uh, just to name a few. Look, they you, you can learn so much more by just going to Epic Physical Therapy. That's epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T dot com. 
and Linda Crafted Team Realtors. I can't talk about them enough. They've been with us since the very beginning, right? And that's, you know, how many, you know, it's what we're going into our third year of shows. L- listen, here's, here's the deal, right? She's been doing this since 1985. People come and see her from 1985. Yeah, there's actually people who still, her first customer still comes to see her, right? It, it still does. Why? And refers her. Why? Because she's known as the, she's known as a relationship making, memory making legend of customer service. That, that's really the only way to describe her and her team. And you know what? She has been consistent for 80, since 1985. That's 35 plus years of consistency. It's almost unheard of in any industry, much less real estate. So look, wherever you're at in the world, when you're ready to sell your home, buy your home, just start. But just do me a favor. Start with Linda Craft and Team Realtors. Please do me a favor, right? Right? It's really easy. Just go to their most comprehensive website, which is lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. Tell, tell them that you heard them right here on A New Direction. Remember, L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Beverly Lassard and her book, uh, Relationships. And uh, we're talking about her relationships with people, places, things, and stuff. <laughs> because she, <laughs> she is, uh, she, the, the book is a series of glimpses, vignettes, uh, moments in her life that uh, really, you know, shed light on how we relate to different things. And we've, of course, talked about, you know, spouses and significant others, children, grandchildren. But then... Then there is the relationship with people, neighbors, and things that also can present their own sets of challenges, right? Because not every, I mean, your person, you know, as you describe yourself in in each of these vignettes, I, I, I love it. You, you're a person of habit. Let's be honest here, Bev. Yeah. You're, you're, oh, absolutely. You're kind of, I mean, you're going to go into Dunkin' Donuts and you're going to get your hazelnut <laughs> decaf black, okay? And and if you're going to have breakfast, it's going to be eggs, Benny. Okay. I mean, that's the way it's going to be. And (laughs) it's going to be eggs, Benny. And then, you know, when you walk in the door and somebody says, how are you going to say super duper, duper. right? That's because that's the phrase of the, that's the phrase that pays. And if you should walk into your favorite store and they've got the green mountain coffee, because you're a morning person, everybody's going to start saying, whispering behind the bed. There goes the morning person. She pumps her coffee, green mountain coffee, grabs her Boston globe. And she sits down in her normal spot and she does what she does. You're a creature of habit. Right. Yeah. But not yes. everybody around you <laughs> is <laughs> is a creature of habit. And so, talk about the relationship and how you have to deal with your personality, which is go get up and go get them. And sometimes people who aren't quite ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I one of the stories is about going uh, and getting my morning coffee, and I just wake up. You know running i'm just ready to go i'm wide awake i was it was actually one of one of the uh interesting differences between my husband and i because he was not a morning person so when i called him up 11 o'clock one morning and said is the reason you took the green car instead of the red car he said i took the green car Mm -hmm. so uh we we operated at a very different speed but uh yeah being a morning person and being uh, you know in the midst of people who aren't morning people can, can really be annoying for them. And of course there, there is the, the story where I walked into the Dunkin' Donuts and the woman 
tapped me from behind and said, do you know that your shirt is on backwards and inside out? Uh, I used to open my center at seven o'clock. So, you know, this is probably quarter of seven in the morning. Uh, and I and I thought I almost got away with it because I'm the first one at the center, but I happened to get there and there was a little boy waiting for me. And he, the first thing he said was, Bev, you have your shirt inside out backwards. Is this Wacky Wednesday? Can we all do it? So, <laughs> uh, which what, I, if I'd been thinking quickly, I would have said, yes, that's exactly what it is. We're having Wacky Wednesday on Tuesday this year. But um, so so I, I, I'm pretty much a morning person, except for getting dressed, I guess, obviously. But uh, yeah, so it, it was kind of fun they, when it was one of the first years being back in Maine from living in Massachusetts for 40 years and dealing with Maine people who aren't morning people and are are you know, very, very honest. Main, main people, I, th- I think, uh, I don't, I don't know about lots of other states, but they're very, very honest. So it was, it was a lot of fun to, to be greeted. <laughs> people who kind of just step out of my way. Yeah. Well, it out. well, you talk, you even talk about that, you know, you didn't really do a lot of traveling. You kind of stayed within the New England area yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Maine, uh, maybe Vermont um, a little but you didn't you didn't venture out beyond there and you even talk about and I thought this was interesting because your observations are so funny that you even did an observation of the type of drivers oh yeah right yes yes they're very very distinctive um I think I noticed that the, the first job when my husband and I graduated from the University of Maine, his, his first job was with Pratt & Whitney in Connecticut. So we went from, you know, rural Orono, Maine to Hartford, Connecticut. And that was just like total culture shock. And that was when I really first noticed Connecticut drivers. They kind of they kind of go forward and then they kind of put on the brakes and then they kind of go forward. <laughs> so then, then living in different States, I kind of picked up on, on the, the differences, but uh, and of course, Massachusetts, we were, we were all crazy. My sister-in-law flew into Boston and by the time she drove a half an hour to our house, she was got out of the car and bent <laughs> over and kissed the driveway. <laughs> Cause she said, I was going five miles an hour over the speed limit and everyone was passing me. I said, yep, welcome to Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was kind of a fun story to write. I think, I think though the thing that I found most fascinating about you and this book was that you really took the time to really like, I mean, these weren't just stories, right? I mean, they, they meant something to you. I mean, because you know, the very last story, is you sitting at the computer trying to come up with a story yeah, and which, yeah. which was, which, you know, you kind of gave us glimpses into all of us who have written books, uh, go yeah. through, right. Is th- that yeah. I, I got nothing. I'm staring at the screen. I'm just, here's what's going on in my head here. You know what? There's a fly going across the wall, right? <laughs> I'm going to yeah. write about that for a second. But one of the things that I think is so makes this book so powerful is that you took the time to stop and observe mm. and which is really amazing because i'm not i'm not very observant if i was uh, a witness to a car accident i'd be the last person you'd want want to want to uh, mm. wit- testify for you i'm not a maybe maybe the difference is i'm not an immediately observant person but if i have the time to sit back and think about it which sitting back and thinking about it isn't really my long suit either. But when I'm writing, you know, you sit back and you, mm-hmm. and you think about it. But there's a but, moral 
to all this. I mean, that's that's the thing that comes out of these stories is that there's some moral truth that I found myself when I was done reading the story going, dang it. You know, I, I, I need to, you know, I, I, I didn't think about it that way. I need to, you know, I need to change. You know, did I, you know, I could have said this differently or could have done this differently. Is this too important? Is this not important enough? And, you know, I think when you, and some of them have a funny moral, right? I mean, some of them are just, you know, jokes on ourselves about how silly we can be and that we sometimes take ourselves too seriously. Sometimes we take life too seriously. But there's, there was always in every story, there was something poignant mm. ab- about, about the story. Yeah. That, that's, that's the piece where I look at you and I go, you know, even when you're talking about, you know, being five foot two, that you've been your whole life, and that us people who, like myself, who are like six four, right, who, you know, we're at the disadvantage, Right. I mean, you, you literally talk about that. And I never thought, I never thought, I always thought, you know, you poor short people, you know, God, you, you can't reach the cereal boxes. You can't, you know, you can't get the really nice glasses on top. You know, you can't get the wine glasses. Right. Yeah. But then you go, actually, it's me who has the deficit. And, yeah. and you saw that from a different light. Talk about, you know, how we, as we relate to ourselves, right. Because that's the beauty I think of this book. Um, relationships is how we relate to ourselves and that ability to look at ourselves honestly, vulnerably, but not necessarily too seriously. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I can't think of an immediate answer except for one of the only story that I ever got into trouble. And I put it, this is in this book and uh, Phil and I had gone out to a, a restaurant and we like to go in the middle of the day when there's nobody there. And uh, there was literally two women sitting beside us and the waitress stood there the entire time talking about uh, how she had to get home and she had to breastfeed her child and she was going on and on and on. And uh, it it was the only snarky story I ever wrote. And uh, uh, I sent it in, I thought it was funny. I sent it in and the editor called me back up and he said, uh, I just want to prepare you that there's going to be two letters to the editor in the newspaper. There were actually two women who were so upset about it that they dropped their subscription to the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, like I thought it was really funny. And in fact, years later, when I was doing a uh, public speaking, I was telling this story. And one of the women said, oh, my God, I remember that story. I thought it was one of the funniest ones you ever wrote. So you never know when you start writing about personal things and personal opinions uh, that you don't know how people are going to take it. And I guess I learned from that that any time that you're snarky, you're going to upset somebody. So um, that was that was the only one that... Uh, I got into trouble. And that was actually, after I wrote that, was when I came up with the title of my column for the newspaper, which was the same title I used for my first book, which was Relentlessly Upbeat. Because after that came out, my husband said, at that before that, it was just, I don't know, some, you know, in this corner or whatever. And my husband said, wow. He said, I can't imagine anybody being upset with anything you write. You're so relentlessly upbeat. And I thought, oh, I like that. And that became, I wrote to the editor, I said, start calling my column Relentlessly Upbeat. And like I said, that was the title of my first self-published book. But um, 
you know, when you're looking at how you relate, how you interpret your own self, you just don't know, you know, in in the world where it's pretty easy to offend somebody (laughs) with anything that you say. But uh, hopefully most of my stories uh, are are positive and not, I I find, I hopefully don't offend anybody with my most of my stories. But what I do find is that people, whenever I sell a book, if I do it personally, like at a, a book fair or something, I'll always say to the person, my email address is on the back of the book, please email me if there's one in particular that touches you. And I haven't had anybody say the same two stories. Uh, everybody has one story you wrote to me yesterday. You like the groundhog story that, that for some reason that uh, 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 related to you. But yeah, everybody has one story. And, it, and it's interesting because if I know the person who's writing back to me, I can usually figure out why they like that story that, it, you know, they were in that period in their life where they were the raising teenagers and it was a teenage story or whatever. But, yeah. <clears throat> I think I think what this book does do because you know as you know I've learned a lot about you and a lot and you've been vulnerable about it. I think it's that vulnerability uh, that you you bring forward and aren't afraid of, right? I think so many of us are afraid of that vulnerability, hmm. but you you don't seem to be you don't seem to be afraid of it. No. Okay, <laughs> except for the snarky story. <laughs> <laughs> but even I, then, I even so, then you're I was honest. so upset about that. I I was so upset that I could upset anybody. So. But even but even even then, right? By the way, but there's nothing better about that story at the end. And I think Phil orders a cup of coffee, and you say to him, "Would you like some milk with that?" I I think that's. <laughs> which by the way is a hilarious story no i think your vulnerability of allowing us to see who you are allowing us to see you know you as a grandma allowing us to see you as a wife who loves her husband um is dealing with the cancer um and loves him every day uh I think allowing us to see you as a sister, as a mother, as a grandmother, as a friend, um, <laughs> as a flower loving, can't stand it. If there's a flower, I've got to get it because as you said in this book, because you have relationships with things, it, your goal in life is to have one flower of every kind ever. And that's just yeah. not going to be possible <laughs> because you love your flowers. And, uh, but I find it, I found it that you not just gave us glimpses, you let us into you. Oh. And that, that was, I think that is the most powerful thing about this book is that very, you know, I write about things, you know, I write about social media, I write about, you know, what makes people successful and leadership and those type of things. I write about business, but this book is a book of vulnerability and we get to see you mm. and uh, your lessons and the things that you learned and you're sharing those back with us. That is the most powerful thing about this book. Oh, thank you. So here's what I'm going to ask you. We've almost been on an hour and uh, the show's called A New Direction. And we try to help people find a new direction in their life or their career, or their business or all three, whatever you know, success, leadership, whatever it may be. If Beverly Lassard, 
uh, Beverly Mann Lassard, who wrote Relationships, if she could leave people with a new direction in their life, what would it be? Oh, if I could lead somebody yeah, in a new yeah. direction? Oh, I don't know. Go away laughing. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Uh, wow. I should have been prepared for this. You asked me after, after my last book what, what, what I would give for advice. Uh, I don't know. I just, you know, in, enjoy life, enjoy people, uh, uh, find the humor and everything, find the, find the good in everything. Mm. Uh, I think it was uh, – I can't paraphrase. Abraham Lincoln said, if, if you look for the good in man, you will find it. And I think if you look for the good in each day, each person, each situation, uh, sometimes the good in a situation is just that it's hilarious. You know, <laughs> sometimes, you know, if you if you if you're doing something and you just keep failing at it, at some point it's going to be funny. So I guess just look for the good in everything and you'll find it and you'll be happy. I love that. Her name is Beverly Mann Lassard. The book is entitled Relationships. Folks, this is the show. You know what I say to you every week, right? Be inspired because when you're inspired, that means that you will inspire other people. And in turns, when they're inspired, that means they'll inspire others and that can make this world a great place. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest, another great book, which is going to mean it's going to be another great show, as I say to you every week. And you know what that is? Ciao, everybody. Miss you, Bob. confidence and the answers don't make sense you got to keep your hope alive you got to know you can survive this is your time to find a new direction a brand new day a new direction things are gonna change Dreams will take you places you have never been before. Find your passion, find your strength. Don't worry anymore. A new diet.